Hello, you're listening to A Little Bit of Largan, a podcast about finding a more balanced, sustainable and mindful approach to living. Taking inspiration from the Swedish concept of Largan, a moderate choice between two extremes, the podcast explores how this philosophy can be applied to all aspects of your life to improve your well-being, the well-being of others and of the planet too. My name is Marla and in this episode I want to talk about the footprint of food. I think we are generally a lot more aware now of trying to buy locally and considering the impacts of transportation of food on the environment, but I think it can be easy to forget about all the other energy and resource intensive processes involved in food production. As well as the carbon footprint we need to think about in relation to food, there's also the ecological footprint, which is the amount of natural resources required in food production. Current demand for resources exceeds what's available and sustainable on Earth. So it's crucial that we protect these finite resources by making better choices about the food we're consuming. Clearing land, growing food, processing, packaging, transporting and marketing are all parts of food production. Let's take a carrot for example. Before it made it to your fridge, land had to be cleared to make space for it to grow, then it had to be watered and taken from the ground, from there it would be transported to where it would then need to be distributed, and then from the distribution site it would travel to the supermarket. Of course this is different for different types of food and in different locations, but there's always a multitude of steps involved we don't always consider. Each stage of food production has an impact on the environment, and the damage to the environment is not limited to CO2 emissions. Other destructive aspects of food production include deforestation, which is a massive concern for a multitude of reasons. It's responsible for habitat loss leading to extinction, and trees are an incredible natural carbon capturing organism. So fewer trees ultimately means more CO2 in the atmosphere, which is contributing massively to climate change. Excessive and unsustainable water usage and release of gases such as methane and nitric oxide, especially in animal agriculture, are also aspects of food production. And since there's so much to cover on this topic, I'm going to try and delve into each of these areas a little bit throughout the episode. There will likely be some shocking facts. I've done a lot of research specifically for this episode. All of the links you can find in the episode descriptions and on my website. I did this in the hope that it can help you make more informed choices in your purchases and give you insight into parts of food production that you may not have had so much awareness about before. I will also talk about what we can do to try and reduce our food footprint and I'm also going to carry this into future episodes as I think it's important as well as being aware of the problem we need to become more aware of the solutions. So why did I decide to zoom in on food production? According to a University of Oxford study Food production is responsible for a quarter of all greenhouse gas emissions contributing to global warming. However, the researchers found that the environmental impact of different foods varies greatly. And this is why our food choices really matter when working towards solutions for climate change. So what can we do? The biggest thing that we can do to help is to switch to a plant-based diet, according to a major report by the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change which says that the West's high consumption of meat and dairy is fueling global warming. So why is this? What is it that makes animal agriculture so damaging? 
Their findings showed that meat and other animal products are responsible for more than half of food-related greenhouse gas emissions, despite providing only a fifth of the calories we eat and drink. Even the most climate-friendly meat options still produce more greenhouse gases than vegetarian protein sources like beans or nuts. This is also supported by the World Watch Organization. Meat products have larger carbon footprints per calorie than grain or vegetable products, and this is because of the inefficient transformation of plant energy to animal energy, along with the methane released from manure and fermentation in ruminants as well. The University of California have made a video which talks about how in just a single serving of beef, there's a footprint of 330 grams of CO2, and that's equivalent to driving a car three miles. And this isn't even considering the methane and nitrous oxide. To compare to this, for a serving of lentils, you'd only be talking about two grams of CO2. So why am I focusing on this before looking into the transportation of food? Surely that has a large impact on CO2 emissions. Well, according to research, food accounts for 10 to 30% of a household's carbon footprint. And the production of food accounts for 68% of these emissions, while its transportation accounts for only 5%. Eliminating the transport of food for one year could save the greenhouse gas equivalent of driving 1,000 miles, while shifting to a vegetarian meal just one day a week could save the equivalent of driving 1,160 miles. It is still important to consider the transportation of food though, especially for foods where production is less energy intensive, for example, fruits and vegetables. Going local therefore is really useful for fruits and veg, but more specifically when they're in season. This is because the carbon emitted by growing them in greenhouses in winter means that importing them from a country where the produce is in season may actually have a lower carbon footprint and be less environmentally damaging than the local out of season alternative. So basically the best bet is to eat seasonally and go to the local greengrocers if you can. It's not just CO2 either. Not only is methane more destructive than CO2, its levels have a much more immediate effect on the environment. Methane has a global warming potential 34 times greater than CO2. And because methane also has a more immediate effect on the environment, methane's 86 times more destructive than CO2 on a 20-year timescale. Nitrous oxide is also incredibly damaging, with 310 times more global warming potential than CO2. Food production emissions mainly consist of CO2, nitrous oxide and methane which primarily result from agricultural practices. A lot of this information I found from a book that I read called The Sustainability Secret, and this was written by Kip Anderson, who also co-created the Cowspiracy documentary that you can find on Netflix. And these resources really provide such useful information. Another quote from this book I wanted to share was how globally, cattle produce 150 billion gallons of methane every day. When looking at figures like this, it's easy to see how animal agriculture can be so damaging for the environment. So trying to eat more plant-based or transitioning to a fully vegan diet really can make such a big difference. So as well as greenhouse gas emissions, I wanted to look into some really water-intensive processes in food production. I came across a great website when researching for this episode, and it's called Water Footprint. 
It allows you to take a look at a product gallery which shows you the water footprint of certain foods. And you can also calculate your own water footprint and see what foods you're consuming that are having the biggest impact with regards to excessive water waste. Here are a few examples that I found on the website. In India, which is the largest banana producing country in the world, the average water footprint of bananas is 500 litres per kilogram of bananas and the global average is 790 litres per kilogram. The global average water footprint for a cup of coffee is 130 litres. That's crazy to consider when you're drinking just one, one cup of coffee. It's taken 130 litres of water to make that. The water footprint of rice, uh, specifically white rice, is 2,500 litres of water per kilogram, which seems like a drastic amount. Rice is one of the more water-intensive foods that you can buy, especially if you look at it compared to something like a potato, which the average water footprint is only 290 litres per kilogram. Potato crisps, on the other hand, cost 1,040 litres of water per kilogram, so that's quite a lot. In comparison to those that we've just talked about though, there are some that are a lot more water intensive. Beef, for example, requires 154,000 litres per kilogram. 154,000. You compare that to a kilogram of potatoes, which is only 290, and you can see how drastic that difference really is. For pigs, it's 6,000 litres per kilogram, and chicken at about 4,330. So a bit lower for chicken, but still when you compare it to other plant-based options, still a lot. A report from the journal Environmental Research Letters states the water footprint of any animal product is larger than the water footprint of any crop alternative with equivalent nutritional value. I wanted to share another quote from the Sustainability Secret, which looks specifically at one dairy cow and their requirements. They require 145 pounds of feed and 35 gallons of water just for one day. That really is a lot. It's definitely clear that animal agriculture, as well as being damaging in the sense of greenhouse gas emissions, it is also incredibly water intensive. So why is not wasting water so important? Most of the impoverished world doesn't have access to clean drinking water, yet trillions of gallons are being used in food production. This is why our food choices really are so important, not just with regards to CO2, but extra water usage also. It's a really serious problem. It harms the environment by sucking rivers, lakes and underground water sources dry, and it increases soil salinity and therefore destroys its quality. It also washes pollutants and pesticides into rivers and destroys downstream ecosystems, so it really is very detrimental. A big topic when talking about water-intensive food often tends to be almonds, so I wanted to take a look into this a bit further. There's a bit of a misconception about almonds. It is true they are very water-intensive, and it's definitely important to be aware of this. But it's really not the biggest culprit in contributing to the droughts, for example, in California. Based on a 2012 Pacific Institute report, almonds use 10% of California's water supply, which is a very considerable amount. However, what you may not know, and I definitely didn't know this and was really shocked to see this, that 
47% of California's water footprint is associated with the meat and dairy industry. The greatest water requirement of anything grown in California is from the meat and dairy industry, even greater than the water-intensive almonds and avocados that are also grown there. To add to this as well, 80% of the world's almonds are grown in California, whereas I'm sure that nowhere near as 80% of animals eaten globally are from California. Before doing extra research for this episode, I knew that there was a lot of environmental implications associated with animal agriculture. It was one of the main motivators for me going vegan, alongside ethical reasons, although I think environmental and ethical reasons are very much intertwined anyway. So what are some other food production processes involving a lot of water? Well, water is used for fracking, a process of extracting fossil fuels from shale rock. It's incredibly high at 140 billion gallons per year, another reason to opt for renewable energy. But again, animal agriculture is a worse culprit at 340 trillion gallons. Adopting a plant-based diet or even starting to reduce your intake of animal products really does appear to be such a crucial factor in lowering your food footprint. Sugarcane and soya are both very water intensive as well. But whilst we're on the topic of soy, I just want to discuss a certain point. Before I was vegan, I definitely remember using the soy argument. I was aware of how bad it was for the environment with regards to deforestation and being very water intensive, for example. So I would argue that eating soy was just as bad and use that as an excuse to counter veganism. However, at the time, I wasn't aware that soy is used drastically more to feed livestock than to feed humans. According to USDA estimates, 87% of global soy output is processed into soy oil and soy cake, with the latter used almost entirely as an animal feed. Only 6% of global soy output is used for food for human consumption, and these are produced from whole soybeans and make foods like edamame beans, tofu, soy milk, soy sauce or tempeh. Before moving on to land use, I just want to recommend again visiting the Water Footprint website. I definitely learned a lot about water usage in a lot of different foods. So with regards to land use, more than 20% of the planet's oxygen is produced by the rainforests. Some figures are as high as 40%. Trees are so important, not only for capturing CO2, but as habitats for wildlife and homes for indigenous people. Deforestation is incredibly detrimental to the environment for a multitude of reasons, impacting on climate change, leading to species extinctions and driving people from their homes. Kip Anderson states that cattle grazing and clearing land to grow crops for livestock are responsible for as much as 80% of all rainforests worldwide. Palm oil is also a terrible contributor, and I can't stress enough the importance of checking your food labels. So much food contains palm oil, it's actually crazy. It's in close to half of the packaged foods that we find in the supermarkets. I'm trying really hard to be palm oil free, as it's really such an environmentally damaging ingredient. It's not always possible, as there may not always be an alternative, or it may be a lot more expensive to purchase. But I just wanted to raise the awareness, so you can try and see that next time you go shopping, how much it really is in everything. And if there is any way you can do some environmentally friendly swaps, then that's great. For me, I found one of these was peanut butter. 
I love peanut butter and almond butter, but quite often they contain palm oil. But now there's a lot more brands that do it without, and it actually tastes so much better. I've even found that in shops like Aldi and Lidl, they're doing their own version now, which is incredibly cost-effective if you can't afford to buy kind of a bigger brand name, for example. When looking at land use, I just wanted to share a couple more statistics to help express how a plant-based diet can be less excessive in exploiting the Earth's finite resources. So in just 1.5 acres of land, 37,000 pounds of plant-based food could be produced. But in the same area, only approximately 370 pounds of meat could be produced. This is a drastic difference. Think how many people could be fed and how much less land would be required if more people adopted a plant-based diet. I just wanted to make a note as well about grass-fed cows. This is something that comes up quite a lot about whether it's better for the environment and better for the animals. Well, grass-fed cows emit 60 to 400% more methane than factory farm cows due to their different diets. Also, grass-fed beef require five to 10 acres per cow. And in some places, this goes up to 50 acres per cow, whereas in industry, it's two to three acres. So you can really see how this is having a drastic impact. Even if it is grass-fed, doesn't necessarily mean it's better for the environment. There are a lot of things that we can't directly control. We may not be able to afford solar panels or electric cars, for example, but we have much more control over what we put on our plates and this can have a huge impact. Just to reiterate how big this impact can be, in just one quarter pounder hamburger, it would take 660 gallons of water, 55 square feet of cleared rainforest And also this is the equivalent of showering for two months. So just one hamburger is the equivalent of showering for two months. Going vegan for one day could save 1,100 gallons of water, 45 pounds of grain that would have been fed to animals, and 30 square feet of forested land, as well as 20 pounds of CO2. You can also calculate your footprint on the WWF website. Just search for Ecological Footprint WWF and this will calculate it in all areas of your life from food to travel to other things within your household. So it's a really useful thing to do just to gauge where you're at. So even if becoming vegetarian or vegan doesn't feel possible for you, just cutting back on the animal products you consume would make such a big difference to your food footprint and how you're impacting on the environment. In an upcoming episode, I'll focus in on ways you can adopt a more plant-based diet, along with tips I found useful, challenges I faced along the way, and some of my thought processes that led to me becoming vegan. This episode has had a lot of facts and figures, so it's a lot to take in, and I find it all very shocking still. Next episode will be a bit of a lighter one, looking into how we can support our well-being finding what downtime can look like for each of us and some little things we can add to our day to bring a bit more care to ourselves. This will definitely be needed before approaching the topic of food ethics, where we will look into some of the treatment of people and animals in certain food production industries, as this, along with environmental implications, to me feels vitally important to be aware of. I'm sure you can relate to this, 
but I don't want to be supporting businesses and practices that are exploiting others and animals and being very unethical in their actions. I want to align my morals with my actions as much as possible in all aspects of my life. And that's why I feel it's important to educate ourselves on these things to better inform our choices. Some of the content in this episode may have left you a bit overwhelmed, as it is a lot to take in, but I hope that it's offered another perspective and reminded you that your choices really do matter and they can make such a difference in creating a more sustainable and compassionate world. Remember, you don't have to do everything all at once. Building in one new habit at a time is a super positive step to take. Whether that's swapping out one animal product at a time, cutting out meat one day a week, or swapping milk for a plant-based alternative, they're all really positive choices and ultimately are helping the planet. So that's it for today's episode. I hope it's proved useful. If you have any questions, any thoughts you'd like to share, or you'd just like to say hi, you can email me at a little bit of largum at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to share this with family and friends and you can find more resources and the show notes on my website. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate your support and we'll speak to you again soon. Bye.